Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's do Elijah, whose name means... Yep, Uh, the Lord is God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, uh, Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Israel is is God. Um, And that's what you're going to see throughout your study of Elijah, is he's helping, trying to help uh, the people of Israel, which northern kingdom, uh, the ten tribes in the north. He's trying to help them. It's hard with Ahab and Jezebel. But he's trying to help them to realize that the God of Israel is, um, is, is, is God. There's no others. And you can't mix a little bit of Baal or Asherah or horoscope or Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever into your, into your, your, your relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we learn over and over and over, is a very jealous God. So you can't um, kind of do a religious buffet and, and take little bits and pieces from, from wherever you want to take. You either take uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Jacob on, on, on his terms, or you don't take him at all. He, he, does, he's, he doesn't fit your image. Uh, you have to fit his. So uh, we started last week talking about Elijah. And again, uh, I've already mentioned that the king and the queen are who? Ahab and Jezebel. And when you are termed the worst king of Israel, that's bad because they've all been bad. They've all been bad up to this point. And he's the worst of the worst. So uh, that's pretty bad. And one of the really bad things he did was he married Jezebel. And uh, sometimes politicians will do things for expediency, for pragmatism, uh, to extend their power. That's not something God would would bless. He married Jezebel. And we looked at the closing verses of chapter 16 of 1 Kings last week. That's the first text on on your list. We looked at those closing verses because they don't introduce Elijah, but they introduce uh, Ahab and Jezebel. And you see that Jezebel, uh, 1631, uh, he, talking about Ahab, he not only considered it trivial, you know, like the people who just check their horoscopes every day, he not only considered it trivial to, to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal. By the way, Ethbaal, you see the word Baal or Baal there, the pagan god. Uh, Ethbaal means uh, uh, Baal or Baal lives. So this must have been a real Baal-worshipping family. Uh, Mary Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, um, Tyre, Sidon, on the coast, the Phoenicians, uh, on the Mediterranean Sea from Israel. Um, and he began to serve Baal and worship him. So you get the setting for how bad it's gotten in Israel. Uh, when there's ten tribes separated from the southern two tribes, uh, that meant they lost Jerusalem. And um, God's very specific. God's very jealous. God said throughout the book of Moses, you, my name will reside in Jerusalem and you shall worship me in Jerusalem. And when he said Jerusalem, he meant Jerusalem. Well, when those ten tribes to the north separated, you know, the king didn't want his people going south 
to those two other tribes of Jerusalem. So he set up worship places. Uh, there, you'll, you'll read that their reference is high places. He set up worship places. So again, they are a syncretistic religion. They're mixing the God of Israel and the gods from the pagan people into their faith. They've set up um, other alternative worship sites against the will of God. Uh, you, you saw just in that ending section of, um, of chapter 16 that one of them rebuilt Jericho. And God had cursed Jericho to not be rebuilt. So it's just a really, really, really bad situation there in Israel. And then most of us have noticed how, this is what we're going to look at today, chapter 17, first six verses. Just all of a sudden, without any preparation, with no lineage, Elijah appears. So you could almost say the greatest of the prophets appear during the worst of the king's of Israel, uh, and, and we will eventually look at Elijah in the New Testament because that stuff's important. Uh, who was who with Jesus at his transfiguration? And Moses. So the law and the prophets, the person who exemplifies the law and the person who exemplifies the prophets are, are there. So uh, the, the greatest prophet, the prototypical prophet, appears during one of the worst times um, in the, in, the, in the nation of Israel. And I hope that you can draw a lot of parallels. I just read this morning, uh, thanks to uh, Quentin, I read the Denison Report, I read this morning that um, school shootings so far this year have doubled from last year. They were pretty bad last year. So yeah, I, I hope you can connect some of the dots. Uh, uh, between the time of Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah and, and our day. I think this is very practical stuff to study. So anyway, chapter 17, Elijah just kind of appears. And his name does mean Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord. And by the way, just so you know, um, anytime the Jewish people to this day, the Jewish people run across the name, the personal name of God, in the scriptures. Uh, in Hebrew, it's, there's no consonants in Hebrew. I mean, there's no vowels in Hebrew. It says yod heh vav heh. That usually gets translated, today it gets translated to Yahweh. Uh, historically, it's been translated Jehovah. Um, we don't use that term a lot because in the Jewish tradition, every time, every time, uh, if you're sitting in a synagogue, every time, uh, that they're reading the Bible and the name, the personal name of God occurs, Yah, that, that lies, Yah, Yah. Every time the personal name of God occurs, they never say it because they, it's too sacred to be trifled with. They don't say it. So anytime you're, you're in a synagogue and they're reading the Scripture and you see in your English Bible uh, Jehovah or Yahweh, they just say the Lord, uh, Adonai. So that's why it feels a little redundant to us from like Elijah, the Lord is God. That sounds like it's a redundant statement to us. But Lord is the personal name that in the Hebrew community just doesn't say that. Um, by the way, when we say Jesus is Lord, that's what we mean in a Christian perspective. Because uh, that word Adonai or Kyrios in the Greek is something reserved for God. And whenever they see his personal name, they say Lord. That's why in your Hebrew Bible, 
if it, some, you see Lord, some of you know this, you see Lord spelled two different ways. If it's all caps, that means the personal name of God. If it's capital L, little O, little R, little D, that means it's just the title, Lord. But uh, anytime you see it with all caps in the Hebrew Bible, when you're reading your English version, that means what's really there is the personal name of God. And that's why even in our English translations, most of our English translations, that's what we do still to this day out of respect for the Jewish community. When the personal name of God is there, Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, we, we don't translate it. We just translate Lord, but in all capital letters. So when, when the name Elijah pops up, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah is God, they're talking about a very specific God. Not just some man upstairs or some supreme being, because they might could squeeze bell into that. But they're talking about a very specific God here. And this guy, and you probably know the story that we'll get to eventually of the of the um, of Elijah going against all those prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel to see which God wins. That's sort of the theme, um, and that's why the Christian community needs to be real clear about who God is. Uh, you can't take a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of Buddhism, and, and a little bit of astrology and, and create something of your own making. That doesn't please God. Uh, you know, part of what it means to be Christian is we believe in a God who loves us so much that he's not been silent. He's, he's communicated to us. So I never understand these Christians who act like we can't know anything. Um, fascinates me. We believe in a God who loves so much he's communicated. So yeah, we can know some things. Baal, bad idea. Bad idea. Um, Ahab, bad person. You know, that's not up to interpretation. Jezebel, bad person. That's not up to interpretation. I mean, we have a God who loves us so much, our God has said something, our God communicates. So I don't understand contemporary Christians who are like, well, we don't really know anything. You know what you know, I know what I know. You have your interpretation, I have my interpretation. I hope you never interpret Baal to be a good idea. <laughs> I, really, I mean, it's obvious. There's some things obvious in this book. So we have a God who loves us so much that God's communicated with us. So here Elijah appears in this terrible setting. Um, and again, don't make too much of that. I did mention last week, in Jewish tradition, because he doesn't die, what happens to him at the end of his life? Carried away in a chariot of fire. He doesn't die like who else? Enoch. He doesn't die, so that just really uh, nurtured Jewish imagination. That's why Elijah will return before Messiah. That's why uh, in, in Jewish homes, when they celebrate Passover, they set a table, an empty spot with food uh, for Elijah to show up. So that's why we're still expecting Elijah to show up. That's why they thought John the Baptist was Elijah returned. Some people thought Jesus was Elijah returned. So there's just a lot that uh, nurtures the imagination. So uh, the fact that he didn't die, and again, here when he pops up, there's no reference to his lineage, his family, his parents. Uh, go back through the Hebrew Bible. Almost every time you're introduced to somebody, you're told who their father was. Yeah, it doesn't happen here. So hey, look at, we're just going to look at these six verses because uh, I need to leave the widow of Zarephath all to herself. Uh, but verses 1 through 6. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Um, let me, I bet you've got 
probably. You got maps in the back of your Bible. Um, I hope you treasure those maps. Turn to turn to the maps in the back of your Bible. Um, probably if you have more than one, because you have to kind of look at you have to kind of create maps uh, according to certain historical periods. Like for instance, I just opened mine. My map number six uh, is a title prophets in Israel and Judah. Um, but even if you don't have a map that ties you closely to um, this time period, if you have any map of Israel, you can do what I'm getting ready to ask you to do. So if you have any map in your back, at back of your Bible, that tur- I mean, I hope you learned geography is important, like history is, to the Bible. If you notice, um, if you're looking at a map of Israel, mm-hmm. that works. You, you'll see as you look at Israel, you see two bodies of water. In the, in the country of Israel, right? Uh, you see a little body up at the top. You see a bigger body down at the bottom. You following me? Uh, help your neighbor if you need to. Uh, those bodies are connected by what river? They're connected by the Jordan River. The little body in the top is what? Sea of Galilee. And you notice... The Sea of Galilee, the little body in the top of the state of Israel, of water, uh, the little body, one of its Hebrew names, yes, which means, Chinnereth means harp. Harp. They say it's in the shape of a harp. Uh, Our ancients figured that out. It's in the shape of a harp. But anyway, so if you look at the Sea of Galilee, uh, again, we're in the northern part, so don't go to the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea. Uh, the Salt Sea and the Dead Sea are the same thing at the bottom. That's your big body of water. Uh, great Sea. That's Great Sea, Salt Sea, Dead Sea. Uh, today we call it the Dead Sea. It's the big body of water in the bottom. How many of you have ever floated in the Dead Sea? I know s- some of you have. Yeah. If you go to the Israel Day, you get to float in the Dead Sea. Those of you that do water, you get to float in the Dead Sea because it's dead and it's full of minerals and you can't sink. Anyway, the, the Dead Sea, Salt Sea, Great Sea is in the south, so don't go that far south. You, we're going to hang out around Galilee up north. That's the state of Israel. If you look at the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee, if you just kind of look to the right, because out of the southern tip comes the Jordan River. You with me? That hasn't changed. Out of the southern tip, right to the right of that um, is probably where um, uh, you will notice he's going to be in a place. He's going to be at the Cariot or Cariot or Carrieth Ravine. It's over there in that area. Um, you may even see, if it is a map, trying to help you out with the age of the prophets. It may even show you where Tishbe may be, because if you head out of the south, if you head south out of the Sea of Galilee, heading toward the south, down through the Jordan River, as soon as you leave the Sea of Galilee, that region to your right on that side of the Jordan River is Gilead. You know, there's a bomb there, we're told. That's Gilead. That today is modern Jordan. So he came from modern Jordan, he came from um, that area to because we know what, what ravine he's going to be sent to. He comes from that area uh, south of the Sea of Galilee to the east. Um, one of the reasons, too, when you think about that, that is not desert region at all. 
When people go to Israel, they're usually fascinated. They think all oh, Israel's desert. You've got to get down to Jerusalem and go south to get desert. Up north is very lush and green. And where, where he's from is lush and green. That's going to be important in a moment. Where he's up north is lush and green. So he's from there. By the way, if you go west now to the Mediterranean Sea, and you head north on the coastline. You, I'm sure you'll see Tyre, probably. Tyre's probably going to be on all the maps. Right north of Tyre, you may have Sidon still up there. Um, between Sidon and Tyre is where you will have Zarephath, because that's where you'll be next week. So he did some traveling. But again, he's all in the north. He's all, he, that's not desert region. He's all in the north. He's in what was called then the um, uh, Israel, Judah in the south, Israel in the north. By the way, if you do have a map, you may see uh, kind of if you go from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, look at the Jordan River, go, go right about in the middle and go, go left, go west. You'll see Samaria. That's Samaria. And you may actually even see the city of Samaria. That's where Ahab would have ruled. That's why this whole land is called Samaria or Israel. We're talking about the same area for Ahab and Jezebel and um, Elijah. So, there's your geography lesson for today. You know, I, read a, I did that because I read a study recently about how completely ignorant Americans are of geography. Uh, anyway, geography matters. Notice in the Bible, as soon as you learn about Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Geography is important. Yeah. Um, on the map in this rainbow study Bible, it's got on here, and I don't know, I can't read that. Even the class is on. It says um, Elijah Bowen. Tishbe, yeah, Tishbe. Oh, yeah, he's. That's just kind of a Jewish idea that he appeared from there. Because <laughs> it does say here he's from Tishbe. He's from Tishbe. So when we hear somebody's from Tishbe, we assume he was born in Tishbe. You know, some, some Jewish folks who are really big on Elijah just think maybe he first appeared there somehow. But the, again, geography is important. Verse 1, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. You know, the Bible doesn't waste ink. And that's why history and geography are important to the text. Because you're getting ready to see... Um, a natural disaster. What is it? A drought. Well, go south toward the Dead Sea. They're like, so what? <laughs> it's always a drought, <laughs> tell me. But that's not where Elijah's at. That's not where Ahab's at. He's not in a desert region. He's up north. So, when, you know, there's no extraneous words in the Bible. Pay attention. You know, the history, the times, the dates... And all of this says this is something that God really did at a certain time in a certain place. Um, anyway, so Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe. We really don't know where even Tishbe is, but we know what ravine he gets sent to. Uh, and we know it's in Gilead. So we can narrow it down. Um, said to Ahab. So he pops up, and the first thing he does is he goes after the wicked king. As the Lord, the God of Israel. And again, he's specific. You know, God's not just the man upstairs, the supreme being. Um, you know, we're talking about a specific God here. As the Lord, the, and is your Lord all caps or not caps? 
What does that mean? It's his personal name. So it really says as Yahweh or Jehovah, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Um, I wonder if that got Ahab's attention. I'd have think the guy was crazy if somebody told me that. Um, you know, I'm saying I'm in, uh, it's not going to rain till I say it is going to rain. Uh, I don't. We don't really know how Ahab reacted. I guess we kind of know something about Ahab's personality, so we can imagine maybe how Ahab um, reacted to that. Anyway, neither do you nor rain. By the way, some of you that have been in Israel. You notice it says neither dew nor rain. They depend heavily on dew in Israel. Um, one of my favorite memories from the state of Israel is going out early in the morning, and the ground's almost saturated with dew because uh, it doesn't rain that much in lots of the areas, um, particularly in the desert areas. That's why you see sheep being led through the desert area, and you should ask the normal question, what are they eating? Because you from you know from the road you see shepherds with sheep walking through what looks like dirt and rock to us, but there is some greenery mixed in because of the dew. And throughout the state of Israel, they, they can be heavy dews in the morning. Uh, so that's why he says there would be neither dew nor rain. And again, you may have heard me say when I taught Bible at, to undergraduates. After about three or four semesters, I realized what my job was to teach was to teach them to read. It does say dew nor rain. You know, he's not being redundant there. Pay attention to what you're reading. As the Lord, Yahweh, all caps in English, but it's Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Israel, in case Ahab was confused, lives, again, in case Ahab is confused, lives whom I serve, there'll be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Um, let me just show you something. We'll, we'll eventually go to the book of James in the New Testament. Just uh, find the first. You have to find the book of James in the New Testament. Uh, if, you, if you get to Hebrews, which is a rather long book in the New Testament, uh, go, go, go to the right, go east. Book of James, of course, written by a half-brother of Jesus. They shared a mother. They didn't share a father. If you look... In the book of James, at verse 17 of chapter 5. And you may know this verse almost from Sunday school or memory. Just as we look at this drought that Elijah speaks into existence, I want you to notice how Elijah speaks it into existence. Look at 517. Elijah was a man just like us. Notice it starts that way. He's not some super, super spiritual follower of Yahweh. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And guess what? It did not rain for how long? So we know how long the drought was. And we know that it was through his prayer that he brought about the drought. Again, things happen um, according to prayer, prayer is the main way that God works in the world today. The second most popular way God works in the world today is through us. But the most popular way that God works in the world today is through our prayers. Prayers 
make things happen. Prayers change things. Prayer is not just some psychological experience that changes us. Uh, prayer creates reality. That's how God chooses to work in the world, uh, is through the prayers of his people. He, can, he does otherwise, but it's primarily, John Wesley said that, it's primarily through the prayers of God's people. God, John Wesley, God does nothing except an answer to prayer. I'm sure if you set John Wesley down and you said, well, I, I, I saw Brenda feeding the hungry yesterday, and that was God feeding the hungry, John Wesley would probably say, well, because somebody prayed for you, Brenda, <laughs> that you'd get your act together and you'd let God use you. So God does nothing except an answer. You know, if we really believe that, I think we'd pray more often. You know, thank you for praying for your adult children. Yeah, most time we just complain and moan and groan about our children. But we, we help structure their lives through our prayer. So we know how Elijah brought about the drought from the New Testament book of James. We know how long it lasted. Okay, so a drought's coming to get Ahab and Jezebel and the people's attention. Let me give you an important biblical principle. We see it all throughout the Hebrew Bible, particularly, and in the New Testament, with Rome and Herod and the The people pay a price for the sinfulness of their leaders. Hope you know that. Hope you remember that when you go to vote. You know, that's a strong principle in the Bible. Yeah, uh, you know, I I wish just Ahab and Jezebel could have experienced the drought. But everybody had to experience the drought. And God was using the drought to get the people's attention. Elijah brought it into reality through his prayer. Now what I want you to see is how God takes care of Elijah. God takes care of his own. Look at verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. I want you to notice throughout all of our study how often it says the word of the Lord came to Elijah. He just didn't figure this out on his own. The word of the Lord came to Elijah Leave here, turn eastward. Again, he's got to leave Samaria, go back toward the um, Jordan River. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, Jordan River. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Um, So that's how God took care of Elijah. You know, I mean, I hope you understand God takes care of us. God provides for us. God sustains us in ways we don't even understand. Uh, you know, you don't even understand how many automobile accidents God protected you from as you were coming to this study this morning. I mean, God provides and sustains for us in so many ways. You're seeing a picture of it here. God does it sometimes very creatively, like here with the ravens, but there are ravens in this area. And the ravens in this, you know, some people who want to be cynical say this, there are ravens in this area, and the ravens would stash food that they found for themselves. And maybe Elijah just went and found it. Well, however God did it, God, God's taking care of, of Elijah here. He's using these ravens in this area, which again, there's lots of trees in this area. Uh, this, this is in the north. So, um, and they, there's, he's by the brook, the Kareth Ravine, he's by the brook. Um, so you notice verse 5. 
So he did what the Lord had told him. Um, Worship does begin with great expectancy, but worship should always result in obedience. You know, we Americans are very independent creatures. We don't like being obedient to anybody but to our own selves, our own agenda. Notice Elijah's obedience. I mean, he's called, he goes straight to Ahab, he speaks the truth to Ahab. Now God just says, you know, go to the Kareth Ravine, and he goes. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, again, geography, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat and meat in the evening. Um, As good Hebrew folks, you remember the wilderness wandering. You remember how God took care of the children of Israel, right? They got manna and quail in the morning. He's getting it morning and evening. So he's really being taken care of here. He's he's being taken care of better uh, than the wandering children of Israel. And he's he's drinking from the brook. So, you know, he's being cared for by God after he spoke the truth to Ahab. Ahab and Jezebel and and the people that they're governing is suffering from a drought that you now know from the book of James. It's three and a half years. Um, What I want to stop with is actually verse 7 because you, 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 you get the picture of Elijah now. Verse 7, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Elijah doesn't just get mad at God at that point and say, God, can't you do any better than this? You know, you've done dried up my brook, God. Um, you know, I always think about like one of my favorite Old Testament stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were cast into what? And we notice that there, as Nebuchadnezzar is watching, there appears to be a fourth one in the fire. But one of my favorite parts is before that, when they're being cast into the fire, um, they say to Nebuchadnezzar, whether we live or whether we die, we're going to be faithful to God. The book of Job has Job saying, though thou slayest me, O God, I will still serve you. You know, sometimes we want to, we'll serve God as long as, you know, life is good. But you watch life get really bad here real fast for Elijah. Uh, he's in an area that should have water flowing in the brook, but it's been a drought, not just of rain, but of dew. So it's just really drying up, but it doesn't hinder Elijah's faithfulness. He's going to be sent to Zarephath, where he's going to learn a little more about um, God's provision, God taking care of him. Um, you know, that's, that's only seven verses, but you could preach for a lifetime off these seven verses. I mean, it's good stuff. Comments or questions or reflections. Uh, have you, you known of experiences in your life where this has been made evident and obvious in your life? 